0: Hello everyone. Um, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I have uh, with me uh, Frank uh, Van Genspecky, uh, who is currently a executive scholar in residence at Motelberry College in um, in Vermont, where he teaches uh, uh, two courses in finance. Uh, what are those two courses again, uh, Frank?
1: Sustainable finance and responsible investment. Responsible.
0: Investments, correct. But we're here to talk about SVB. Obviously, uh, everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, could this have been avoided? Uh, did we see it coming, or is this a total surprise? Obviously, it's a total surprise for lots of people. But uh, I think uh, Frank is going to tell us a little bit more, uh, going a little bit beyond the headlines, quite frankly, and 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 be a little more specific as to what really might have been going on. And is 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 this something? Is there a bigger picture here? So, Frank, tell us a little bit. What's your view on this? What what happened? And 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 because you wrote an, an article for Forbes, uh, which I found was quite interesting, quite enlightening. So, um, tell us more.
1: Okay. First of all, Patrick, thank you for uh, having me as a repeat uh, customer, so to speak. So, uh, and it's always a pleasure to um, exchange views with you on on topics relating to uh, finance. So, yes. Um, the case of Silicon Valley Bank is an interesting one in the sense that it brings us back to the traditional trifecta of optimizing and maximizing. So, in a sense, you know, there's a there's a triangle, you know, which need to be optimized, which is liquidity, solvency, and of course, you know, the um, maximization of the profit or the profitability. When we talk about liquidity you know, just to make sure that we're aligned in terms of uh, concept and understanding thereof, I think, you know, liquidity is the amount of cash at hand uh, that might be, you know, just cash with the central bank, but it might also be in the form of liquid uh, securities that you hold on your balance sheet in order to meet certain demands uh, from your customers. The secondly, the, the solvency, it's the amount of capital that is, that you hold on your balance sheet to absorb losses. And these losses might emanate from credit deterioration in credit quality or uh, loss of um, income as a result of uh, interest rate changes. And thirdly, I mean this the, the, the profit maximization is of course an outcome of the balancing of these two items over and, uh, and above of course, you know minimization of your uh, cost base. Now, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, I think we have to also, add a picture of what we have seen um, emerge over since the beginning of of, uh, the the century actually, of what we now commonly call the poly crisis, right? So the poly crisis is this concurrence of about eight to 10 major crisis moments of which, you know, you can, uh, most people might be familiar with climate change, loss of biodiversity Uh, also loss and distrust in democratically elected institutions. We have geopolitical tension, we have uh, social and racial injustice. And um, right now we also have these major, major financial fault lines and they actually find their origin in the institution and the introduction of quantitative economics at the onset of the financial crisis in 2008. So I think, you know, there, it was with a pretty ingenious manner um, that the central bank balance sheet was expanded in order to inject money with a view to keep interest rates as low as possible, right? So I think, you know, to um, procure the financial system with sufficient means uh, to meet any liquidity requirement and at the same time, you know, keep interest rates as low as possible. As um, I think, a result of that, we have seen about 30 trillion of these quantitative easing assets emerge on the balance sheet of central banks, and at the Fed alone, about 10 trillion, right so 10 trillion. Uh, and that was both to, you know address the 2008 financial crisis, but at the same time also making sure that the pandemic, the two, uh, so the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, actually um, could be addressed by providing, you know, monetary measure or at least you know monetary compensation measures, you know, for every single citizen, especially those that had uh, lost uh, employment. So um, that's you know, you know, a major element. As there is another major fault line, is the fact that we um, have. A tremendous amount of leverage in the system. So leverage means debt, right? So, and on a global scale, there is about more than three hundred trillion. And uh, just in relation to the, the debt, which is pretty important for uh, the banks, and here we're talking about the regional banks. There is the amount of mortgage, car loan, and credit card debt, which is about to the tune of about sixteen trillion. That's in the system, right? So globally three hundred trillion more than three hundred trillion you know here in the uh, system here just you know in terms of mortgage retail mortgage um, car loans and credit card about sixteen trillion in orders of, of magnitude and um there is also an element as a result uh, of major m a activity that has taken place which was not um submitted to antitrust mechanism reviews. So now we have in the largest economic sectors, price setting power or dominance of about three to four players. So you have some in in these um, respective economic sectors, almost like holistic type um, structures in place, which have the ability to set the price. And they actually mortgage the efforts undertaken or the tool that the monetary uh, policy, or the central bank has at is, is at its disposal, sorry, to actually um, ensure that the interest rate mechanism functions right. So we have seen eight consecutive interest rate hikes, and still the inability to control inflation, right? So inflation is still above four, or five, well, between four and four and a half percent, way, way above the level, the two percent target that was set by the central bank. So that's, in a nutshell, I mean, the setting, Patrick, you know, that, you know, uh, SVB actually was faced with. So on the one hand, you know, I just want to revisit how, you know, man, you know, how, you know, what's what's the uh, C-suites uh, kind of conundrum when looking at uh, traditional banking management. And on the other hand, the occurrence of this poly crisis with different strands, right, and of which... This crisis, actually, there were about three strands that really reared their head, and uh, the common thing about the systemic—sorry—the uh, common thing about this um, poly crisis is that systemic risk, or that it has the potential to magnify systemic risk, which is totally unpriced for at least until the crisis happened. So that was totally unpriced.
0: So, are we? Do we have? Do we have this under control? Or is it that we are fighting the wrong battle in in the public arena, meaning that if you listen to what's going on with SVB, I mean, no one is talking about 2008, except to refer to another bank failing, but not, not the huge amount of money being uh, sent into the system. No one is really talking about the 300 trillion. Everyone is saying, well, rates went up, and oops, they got caught off guard, and 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 it's just a matter of rates and inflation. So I guess two questions. The first one is: Do you think that that I mean, there's a lot of issues here. Obviously, the policy crisis you're referring to. So that's a lot of elements to manage. Uh, and you seem to indicate that SVB is kind of the poster child of of how it impacts a bank. So is this under control, first of all? And the second question is. Are we being told a different story? Are we, we're not being told the real story, I guess. What are your views on these two? Um, um,
1: well, I, I think if if you know you talk about uh, are things under control. Um, I think you know what we have, what the Fed and the FDIC to the credit have actually put in place, is uh, the bank. Um, Uh, term funding program, right? So I think, you know, we're right now, you have this ability of every single bank that is facing this, this liquidity crisis to actually submit collateral. So there's securities, which are underwater as a result of these eight consecutive price hikes by the Fed. And um, so by submitting the collateral, you actually receive um, 100, or you get your par amount in liquidity in cash, right? So this is pretty, it's, it's, it's a band-aid to address the impact of these price hikes or the interest rate hikes onto the underlying portfolio. So I think that's, you know, a very, um, you know, astute manner, but it's a band-aid, right? It's it's not something that you can do perennially. Secondly, I think there's also the fact that now in the case of uh, the Signature Bank and SVB, all deposits, even those normally, I think, you know, deposits are guaranteed up to an amount of 250,000 per account holder and per bank by the FDIC. So FDIC is Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is the regulator for these uh, smaller regional banks that has been put in place. And it's trying to ensure that um, the small deposit holder is not incurring a loss if a major bank collapse occurs. So here one has gone beyond, right? So expand the the blanket, so I think you know it's all deposits over and above two hundred fifty thousand in order to ensure that there is no uh, bank run. So in the meantime, we've have seen the case of Republic uh, National Bank also um, encountered a run, and there the address or the remedy was somewhat different. So you had uh, six to seven major, larger financial corporations, you know, providing um, liquidity into Republic National Bank in order to stem the flows or the outflows of the liquidity. So, in essence, I think you do have so two major elements that have been introduced, so tools that have been uh, introduced, and I think you know which you know will do at least for the time being, you know will actually address or make you know these things um, you know address in the short run, because you you can't take away that there is a major element of the poly crisis, right? So you do have. And amongst other things is there's so much money into the system, how can you mop it up, right? So as I said, there's still Uh, 8.4 trillion on the central bank balance sheet, which means that prior to this event, so 8.4 trillion was injected in the system. So cash is in the system. And um, so there's still too much because we have still inflation rates at 4%. So the central bank is right now really challenged in a sense how to address price inflation and at the same time knowing full well that the amount of securities that are in the system right will actually uh, if you do another hike will actually trigger further losses on the books of uh, these these portfolios right so i think there's an element you know for for the, for the central bank to to question and that is you know a nice segue into your second question oh we told the full story so I think what is happening, there's two things that are happening in, uh, and which you don't hear too much about, unfortunately. I think it's A, is the concentration of two to three players within each of these main economic sectors. And as you said, I think, you know, eight consecutive price hikes have not helped in order to toward that price inflation. So there's something else that's going on, right? So I think it's like you're taking a medicine and your body is not feeling well. So your body has reacted to some extent, but you still have, you know, you're still running a fever, right? So there's something else going on in your body. There's another inflammation that's taking place in your body. So that's very similar to that in a sense, you know, how do you do market concentration? How can you address market con- uh, concentration in, into these very distinctive economic sectors? That's, you know, a very important element. Secondly, you know, you have to ask the question, and this is now going back to uh, the 2012 Supreme Court ruling. I think we're, um, we have the Citizen United Supreme Court ruling, which allowed corporations to uh, actually fund political parties. And to what extent the question is, I mean, and this is a rhetorical question, in or a Socratic question, I should say, to what extent is actually Or has the supreme court uh, ruling actually uh, impacted uh, decisions on the political process to actually put into question this excess power or excess power setting or excess price setting uh, power uh, capacity um, by these distinctive players in the main economic sectors
0: Uh, well hold on because you seem to be describing a situation where you 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 use the word Band-Aid. Um, and, and uh, you know, let's remind everyone that we, uh, after SVB, we have some sort of situation going on with First Republic as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: guess those players that you mentioned, I'm sure they're the one that probably part of those 11 banks that funded, well, or at least uh, provided, I think, um, I don't know. It was thirty billion or so uh, to First Republic as well. So it, it. I guess the bandages are working for now. Mm-hmm. The the Fed hikes having an impact, but obviously it's not enough. Um, so you seem to be describing a world where we we're, we're, we're kind of there's something else going on. It it could be the party crisis. It could be something else. But obviously party crisis makes lots of sense. I mean 2008 was a was a big event and we're still feeling the the consequences today so you seem to be describing a world where um you know we might or we might not be in control of the situation and it might get a lot more complicated especially since the fed still on Monday morning they still need to fight inflation and they may not have the tools to do it but yet it seems to be impacting the bank I mean banks such that are not uh, maybe we could talk about a little bit about you know was the was this a total surprise for SVB first of all
1: yeah so you're you're right in terms of I think you know what one of the first elements is actually the reason why um SVB was also able to run this kind of position so by the way they run like a 91 billion dollar unhedged interest rate position right so the question is how is it possible that this magnitude a was being able to run by a bank 16th largest bank in the u.s and secondly why was it unhedged why were they taken so off guard by you know the fed and their interest rate hike so you have almost you know, for the better part of 13 years, you had a very low interest rate environment, the ZERP, right? So zero interest rate policy being pursued by the Fed. And so there was somehow a assumption on the part of bank management at SVB, but not only at SVB, by the way, let's be clear, right? I mean, this is, there are other banks in the same position. You know, they thought, you know, that interest rate would remain low, right? Especially when um, there was some uh, exposure to mortgage-backed securities, Mortgage securities have this negative convexity, which you know means that you know in case that interest rates lowers, they have this uh, unintended consequence of extension of duration. So, and this is extension of duration. This is the last thing you want in an environment where interest rates increase. Right. So, this is something of a question. Now, the reason why this was allowed to happen is that they had undertaken in uh, two thousand nineteen a very successful very successive effort, again, to back off, you know, regulation that was coming under the frame of Dodd-Frank, where were they very successful in making the case to uh, remove the limit of 50 billion asset total or balance sheet total as the threshold uh, from which Dodd-Frank provisions with respect to liquidity and solvency would actually be imposed. And they were successful in moving it up to 250. And it's only the last two years that they have seen 250% increase in balance sheet growth. Right, so it's only, this is only very recent, but they knew, but they stayed or navigated underneath, again, the new threshold of 250 billion. So they're very astute in managing to stay under, you know, uh, under, under that threshold. And that's the reason why somewhat, you know, the FDICs were taken off guard, but having said this, you could look in a 10K um, that the bank, SVB, was actually virtually bankrupt, right? So at the end of 22, because, and by virtually bankrupt, I mean, if you did a mark-to-mark of uh, the position, they were, and, and apologies for getting a bit too technical, but there is 91 billion of the portfolio, I think was the bulk was held into what was called Holt. Uh, so uh, holding to market. So I think this is a uh, portfolio which is not compelled to be marked to market because you are holding the portfolio uh, at, at till maturity. Sorry, it was a holding to maturity, HTM, so holding to maturity. And that was a, um, in a sense, so there was no need into marking to market that book. Yet, if you were undertaking a mark to market of this HTM book, you could see that it, you know, that it wiped out their total capital base. Right, so that's something, it, 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 somewhat a more structural element that's gonna be addressed. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting um, to have this, you know, uh, the threshold being reduced again from 250 to 50 billion so that every uh, uh, single individual bank here or the most, you know, the important uh, regional banks will actually be uh, having to comply with uh, dot Frank provisions with respect to liquidity and solvency here.
0: Oops. Okay, so we're back with this mark-to-market again. This this looks so much like two thousand eight. You know, you recall in two thousand eight, that's exactly what happened. They had all of these structures that now no one, and I knew because we held positions like that, which no one really knew how to mark-to-market, and then realized, ultimately that they weren't worth anything. Um, you know, tied to the two thousand eight crisis. Now. And you also bring up the specter of the Fed, and as actual um, supervisory authority, did they, they do what they were supposed to be doing? Because you know, as everyone knows, I think last week they announced that they would tighten the uh, supervision of the um, of the mid banks now to the level of the the larger banks. Mm-hmm. Am I correct on that? So so. So obviously they, they, someone yeah. didn't watch the store here and they're readjusting again each time there's an issue, boom, more more regulations, more supervision.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would say two elements there, Patrick. The first element is with respect to the uh, complexity of the structures. So the, the, the structures were not as complex or, you know, I think, you know, there's more they were um, they invested in in uh, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, but not complex mortgage-backed mm-hmm. securities. And so these were easy to mark-to-market, yet there is a provision. Uh, so you have available for sale. So these are so-called securities, which you, know, you can actually uh, liquidify in the market at short notice. And for which you, know, you are compelled from an accounting, from a US GAAP perspective, to mark-to-market. And then you have those that you can hold to maturity where there's no obligation to actually mark-to-market, because you are holding these securities. Your intent is really to hold those securities up until maturity, and then you're uh, assumed to be paid back at par. That's the first kind of nuance. The second element, you're right. So um, the FDIC will actually um, lower the threshold from 250 to 250. So I think it's the FDIC, which is the, the main regulator in this in, in this instance. The Fed has intervened to come up with a uh, relief program so in the in, in the in the form of this bank term funding program and in the provision of um you know that uh also uh, along with the fdrc that deposits would be uh, guaranteed over and above the 250 uh, thousand threshold
0: so what's the story there ultimately frank i mean what are we really dealing with is this is this something is this poly crisis underneath Pushing up the steam, and once in a while we have to let off some of it, you know, successfully or not. I mean, right now I guess the market kind of stabilized. We didn't lose any more banks. I'm assuming right now everyone is. I'm sure all the banks are looking at what they actually have to make sure they're not in trouble. Um, and uh, it, it looks well. They 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 put some money into um, First Republic. SVB is out, we haven't heard from the other banks, the stock market is kind of stable. I guess we're back to fighting inflation, but feels to me like there's this groundswell that it's gonna to be tougher and tougher to manage, which I mean, it this party crisis is impacting SVB today, but it could be impacting some other institution or, or whatever, or, or, or instrument in the future. Are we we dealing with the real issue here or we're just bandaging this thing as we go along?
1: Well, I think in in essence, so there is an element when I said the polycrisis, the polycrisis before SVB I think happened, I think was totally unpriced for. So it had all these constituents to systemic risk, but there was no ability or no intent on connecting the dots over and above the different strands of this polar crisis and definitely not, you know, to the extent that it could be priced for. But I wanna go back on to the, the main, and there's about three elements here at core that are, you know, that have triggered the crisis, right? So uh, this maybe be four, um, but, you know, in, in, in essence, we have, there's too much money in the system as a result of quantitative easing, right? So the 2008 COVID-19 crisis needed compelled uh, the Fed to intervene in um, at scale. And so we are dealing with this kind of element, the processing of this 8.3 trillion that still reside on the central bank balance sheet, right? So, and just, you know, for, for you know, um, informative purposes, before the, the banking crisis, the, the central bank balance sheet was smaller than 500 billion, right? So before 2008, the Fed had a balance sheet, you know, which is smaller than, than 500 billion. And so right now it's 8.3, so it's, it's more than... Um, um, so this is uh, yeah, 16 times mm-hmm. you know, the amount of, of you know, uh, the pre-2008 crisis. Secondly, there's too much leverage in the system, right? So I think you know, the money that was like injected was not enough actually, was steered towards debt, not enough to, into equity, right? So I think there's an element equity is a element of um, buffering and creating capacity to absorb shocks. So I think that was totally absent. We had thirdly the drive to deregulation, right? So to deregulate, and that was like in in the successful bid uh, by the regional banks to lift that threshold from 50 billion to 250 billion. So uh, under the uh, Dodd-Frank provision. And fourthly, I'm coming to say too, I mean, this is like, we have seen a major wave of MA activity so since the beginning of the century till now and again never was there any question about excessive market share never was a question about excessive price setting power capacity so and this is something which this market concentration there the uh, if you actually try to deploy the tool uh, of interest rate mechanism by a central bank or as a central bank, it's totally flawed, or it's not totally flawed, but it's not fully adequate in order to address the ill. So these are the four items I think would, would say are at core and which it make it very difficult. Uh, I think at least you identify what is at core. You know what what is triggering your illness or your discomfort, right? But I think is now you have to have, do you have the tools or not so much we know what the tools are, but do you have the willingness? Do you have the inclination? Or are there other elements that impede you to act in accordance with uh, the true causes of this underlying crisis?
0: Well, obviously, those four elements that you mentioned, there's plenty of political, you know, upheaval around there to prevent this from happening. Yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, you got the, your major wave of MA. I mean, these banks are not gonna de merge. You know, they like the power that they have right now. Uh uh the deregulation uh by the, the by the, the 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 small banks. Uh yeah. I mean, again, we made the mistake of deregulating, and now we have an issue. I mean, all these things are are politically driven the same way. I mean, let's let's make it simple. Look what uh Powell is doing. Uh, basically, he wants to be the next Paul Volcker, um, right? So he's pushing it as much as he can um, for um, maybe not for political reason, but 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 for other reason be, be, because maybe what he's doing is not really working, or it's not working fast enough, right? So there's a lot. I, I see what you mean in terms of okay, we know what it is right you've got a problem you got a you got a disease but you don't really want to stop smoking and stop drinking and 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 having
1: a good that's time exactly, that's exactly exactly right
0: uh, what do you think is going to happen
1: so the situation with you know i think you know uh, when you go back to volcker i think when volcker volcker had it a lot easier i think you know there the interest rate mechanism tool was actually fully functional because you didn't have as much there was dominance like you know you might remember you know, uh, in telecommunications and of course, oil and gas had some dominance, but the rest of the sectors were not as um, oligopolistically uh, cat- categorized or they were not characterized by this olig- uh, oligopolistic kind of pricing uh, power, right? So I think in that way, it is it is um, a different sense. The other, you know, I think, as I said, you know, uh, when Volcker came in, you know, I think he didn't come in after You know, the uh, onset of the 2008 financial crisis or, you know, the magnitude the second largest, you know, in history, financial crisis and coupled with COVID. Right. So and these were much needed kind of interventions. It's now that we need to mop it up. I mean, you know, what are the best ways to mop up this excess liquidity? Because don't forget, I think, you know, the reason why there was so much interest rate gapping uh, unhedged on the part of the bank, because they were chasing yields. Interest rates were so low. And so the point was that they only thought, you know you know, what they did a purely, you know, old fashioned uh, gapping maturity gapping model, right? So I think they, they, they invested very long-term and they were taking in deposit short-term and hoping that, you know, again, why is it that they didn't see this interest rate or these eight consecutive interest rates uh, hikes not coming? Uh, why didn't see this coming? Why were they not uh, in a position to anticipate? That's, that's the main question. But again, they were not alone. And the second question is to what extent is this also, if this lasts too long, it, it actually can start having impact on you know, uh, credit quality. Because as you can see, eight consecutive interest rate hikes is impacting consumers in the payoff of their mortgage loans. So how much of these mortgage loans are actually fixed rate or floating rate? I mean, that's gonna be the next question, right? I mean, how much of those loans that have been extended are actually um, you know, fixed or floating? And um, if they're floating, um, I think it's, it's, it would be good for the bank, but it's very poor for the retail customer because every single time that there's an interest rate hike, he sees you know, a higher uh, interest rate payment uh, coming uh, or um, with which he will be faced with. So that's another element. So you can see that this interest rate policy and the rate or the speed at which this is executed can also have an impact on retail um, credit quality or. Um, the ability of, of the retail segment to start and to continue, start to continue servicing these mortgage rate loans and the car loans, so um, and the credit card debt,
0: which is exactly what Michael Berry saw in two thousand six to two thousand seven to two thousand eight. He, he saw all of these mortgages that were going to refinance at higher rates, and since that people couldn't afford it to begin with, they definitely couldn't afford higher interest rates, and now. Even higher interest rate because rates are really high now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, wow, well, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, 2008 ghosts coming through this um, this process. Um, I mean, we're not going to be able to resolve it, and um, but at the very least, I think uh, you help us lay down kind of where you know this idea of the mop up for the excess liquidity. And things like that. I think that's that's important. And and I think uh, we, I want to thank you for at least laying down the, the 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 lay of the land. At least we know what we're dealing with. How we're going to deal with it, right? It's going to be uh, uh, interesting. I would say to say the least.
1: It's going to be very interesting. And I said it's not the task of a um, a central banker is not made easy at all. As I said, I think you know if you look at the spoiler crisis, these are three distinctive strands that you know rear their head. And um, hopefully, I mean, again, I don't uh, want to be a doomsayer, but I think there, that has the potential of other uh, you know, uh, strands to, to, to emerge. And so that brings us to the question, to what extent does the central bank have the adequate toolkit to address all these different uh, substrata of the underlying systemic risk issue here? So that's the big question.
0: Frank, thank you very much for your time. Let's see what happens. let's see what happens with future banks, hopefully not, but future banks are a bankruptcy. let's see what happened in the stock market and let's see what 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 the Fed is going to be doing. Again, Frank, thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you.